So I remember it was hot on the bus, you know, that kind of hot that it's been here lately, that hot that's really sticky, kind of the back of your knees sweat, you stick to the seat even with the windows open and the air conditioning on. And so as we rolled around the corner in our bus, uh, I saw on this bumpy dirt road something that looked like it was painted on a canvas. It looked like a white building that was painted on the canvas of the blue sky that day. The big wooden door, the big wooden door, the big knocker on it, and before the bus even came to a stop, the door swung open, and this woman who had white hair that looked like it was painted just like the big white building that we were arriving to said, welcome, welcome, and she was accompanied by a dog that was barking, barking, barking um, very busily to us, and she said, that's Barack. His name is Barack. That means blessing, but sometimes I don't know if he's a blessing. Come in, come in, come in. So she ushered our group inside the door, and inside the door of this white building was this beautiful garden with hanging flowers and an open veranda and a big long table that had been set for tea and for us. And she said, come in and sit down and let me pour you something cold to drink. And I wonder how this lady with the thick New Jersey accent ended up in Suchitoto, El Salvador, talking to a bunch of seminary students from Ohio. And please forgive me, I think I'm speaking in a New Jersey accent, so if it's not really New Jersey, you'll just have to talk amongst yourselves. So Sister Peggy was indeed from New Jersey, and she was a Dominican sister who had arrived in Suchitoto in the late 1980s to work at this big white building, which I would learn was a school. She was the first of 10 Dominican sisters that were, co were coming to Suchitoto from the States to teach English at that class, and she was the first one to arrive. So she was the first one to meet the Salvadorans who were just returning home for two years in a refugee camp in Honduras after fleeing the violence that was consuming the armed conflict of their country. She looked up and she said, I thought I knew what having nothing was until I met these people, until I met these people. They had nothing except they had each other. They had each other. Around the same time that she arrived and the Salvadorans were coming home, the armed conflict in Suchitoto was ramping up. And so in this white building, the school, there's a playground right next door and then a building over top of that. And so the campesino people, the poor people who were really fighting for their lives were on one side of this playground and the government military was on the other side and they were shooting back and forth at each other. The nine sisters who had come the week after she came went home. They decided that that wasn't for them. And she said she was in her room and she was deciding whether she would stay or go and she didn't know what to do and she was really having kind of a um, conflict of faith and she said that one of the Salvadoran women that she had just met arrived at her door and she had tortillas. And she said at this point in time, everybody was hungry because nobody could get out to the store to go to food and she brought tortillas to her and she said, sister, tonight we share our food. Tonight we share our food. Tomorrow we'll share our hunger. Tomorrow we'll, sh we'll share our hunger. And she said, well shoot, I'm staying here. 
She didn't say shoot either. Nuns can be very crass at times. She said to us, just like Jesus tells us, do this and nothing less than this. I have blessed you with my substance. Now you must go and bless others with yours. So while she said she lived worrying, which I think is an interesting phrase, she lived worrying, she really took her cues from the people who didn't have a choice whether to stay or go. She soon learned that in this conflict, the religious people, the sisters, and she was with one Jesuit priest and a bishop, they were able to navigate back and forth in between the fighting. They were the ones that were allowed to go outside. And so she said, my job and the priest's job to serve the people was help to identify remains of people that were dead on the playground to make sure that families got those bodies, because she would say, that's someone's son or daughter, and I'm not going to let them lay there. Their mom wants them, and I'm going to get them. They prayed amidst this horrible violence, and they just were present. And she said to herself, they will not have died in vain. No one that dies here with me will die in vain. Jesus will not have died in vain. And she said, I learned the faith expression of others can carry us. Because as seminarians, we were saying, how did you have faith to say? I don't understand. I don't know if I could do that. And she said, I learned that the faith expression of others can carry us even in the worst of times, even in the worst of times. And that faith is where survival happens. That faith is where survival happens. And it's in that faith, in that survival, that hope is found, and that hope is a movement. It's collective dreaming, collective dreaming. Psalm 85, the psalm in our text today, ends as a song of collective dreaming, a song of hope that describes the peace of God as we just heard Jim read. However, the psalm starts with the lamentation of a people in the wilderness, a people in exile returning to a land that is not as it should be, that is not as it should be. The title of the psalm, when you look it up in the text, is a prayer for the restoration of God's favor. For the restoration of God's favor. And the psalmist asks God, when will God restore God's people again and put away God's indignation against them? It says, will you be angry at us forever? Will you be angry at us forever? Will you not revive us again? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Grant us your salvation. And in those words, I hear the cries of a people who feel lost and feel separated and feel without God, without God. And I can only imagine that this must have been the very cry of the people of Suchitoto the Campesino mothers and fathers, and maybe Sister Peggy herself. What had they done to deserve such destruction? These were very faithful people. What had they done to deserve this destruction? I can only imagine our Salvadoran and Guatemalan and Honduran brothers and sisters who today flee the ongoing violence in their countries, which is almost as bad as it was in the 80s, to 
a country that disappears their children just like the countries that fleed. How can God turn God's face on me when I thought I was coming to safety? I can imagine the young people in Nicaragua who were held captive again, just like this, in a basement last week while the government shot at, into the church because they were protesting an autocrat. How can you leave us, God? I can imagine the family of a young black Chicago barber who was killed yesterday by police, shot in the back. When will God face us again? When will God restore us? The homeless and the poor and the incarcerated and any of the others, any of the others, our society pushes to the margin, must feel excruciatingly alone and exiled. Maybe you have had some of those same feelings your own self. I know that certainly not to that extreme. I have felt that I haven't seen the face of God in a long time. And yet we know, and hear me, we know that it's not God that turns God's face from us, right? But we who turn from God. We who turn from God. And that's sometimes hard to hear, but it's us human beings who miss the mark, right? It's communities of human beings who otherize other human beings. God's beloved. And it's human beings who don't care for God's good creation. What we know, though, is that God wills only the best for us. Only the best for us and never leaves us. No matter how alone that we feel, God is always reaching for us. And it is up to us to reach back. And as harsh as that may sound, the good news is that we don't receive God just once, whether at a baptism or some conversion experience. We receive God again and again and again. We receive blessing and forgiveness and guidance and instruction throughout our lives. And we can always turn around again. We can always make better decisions. We can always restore relationships. And we can help create the kingdom in which God and all of God's beloved will rejoice. The psalmist explains that rejoicing in the text for today is beautiful imagery. It says to those who turn their heart to God, God will speak peace and steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The quartet of God, the song of God, steadfast love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace will play to all of us a new song of salvation. A new song of salvation. Now, some of you who know me know that I love Hebrew. Some of you who don't know me, now you do know that I love Hebrew. And I'm going to teach you some Hebrew today because in order to feel the depth of this text, we need to read the Hebrew words. So the first note that we're going to hear in that quartet of God is steadfast love, and in Hebrew it is chesed. Say that for me, chesed. 
correct. And chesed in Hebrew is different than the love that we know in English. Because in Hebrew, chesed is used to communicate God's kindness and love toward humanity. It's a covenantal love. Remember, I am your God and you are my people. I'm gonna set a rainbow in the sky so you'll never forget my covenant with you. So chesed is that covenantal love between God and God's people, and it's also the covenantal love between us, each other. Human being kindness, love for another. And acts of chesed are the active representation of a covenant among people, a social contract. And notice that this is where we join the melody. This is where we get to join that new song of salvation. Because chesed isn't about writing a check or bringing a can of soup or going to a food pantry or showing up once a year at a shelter and please hear me say that those are all important things to do and they're relevant. However, they fail to engage people in relationships of understanding. Does that make sense? Chesed is about relationship. A relationship with God and a relationship with each other. It's when we become engaged with real people and real communities on the other side of our giving that we realize the covenantal aspects of chesed. Now, 915 didn't remember this, so I'm gonna ask you guys. Do you remember there was um, a beer commercial, go with me, that in the commercial, they put two people together, and the, in order to get a glass of this beer, the people had to build a, a really small bar together. Do you remember ever seeing that? No, okay, it was great, I'm gonna tell you about it. So, they had to build this bar together, and on purpose, the people who wrote this commercial, put people together that um, before they met didn't like each other, right? So one of, one, one of them I remember was um, a white man who didn't like gay people, and they put him with a lesbian. Didn't know that about each other, and they had to build this bar together. One was another woman who did not like Muslim people, and they put her with a Muslim woman. What do you think happened when they began to build that bar together? They liked each other. They began to talk about things that they had in common. They began to talk about their children. They began to talk about where they went to school. They began to talk about why they like the beer that they like. And it wasn't until the end when they were sitting at the bar that they made together drinking beer that the producers came out and said, oh, by the way, this is this person and this is this person. Without question, every single person said, I'm going to come away from this exercise different. I didn't know that you would be like this. Never met anybody. I didn't know this would be different. And in the change of that relationship, that quick, with the quickness of now, I think we use in our liturgy, lives are changed, 
families are changed, communities are changed, and God's chesed rolls into the world. It's as simple as that. It's us taking responsibility to reach out to the other and know them as God's beloved and one chosen and loved. We must begin to care enough about God. And then hear me when I say this. We need to care enough about our relationship with God to care about those God loves. We can't be in a covenantal chesed relationship with God if we don't love God's beloved. And that goes for all of creation. So the second note of the four is faithfulness, and it's emet, emet in Hebrew. Emet is also translated as truth. There are three letters in the Hebrew alphabet that spell the word emet, okay? The first is aleph. Aleph is also the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The middle is meh, mem, which is exactly 14 letters from the first one. Aleph, mem, tav. Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's exactly 14 characters to mem. Commentators tell us that because of the spelling of this word, Aleph Memtav, that emet means wholeness and encompasses the beginning, middle, and end, and bringing completion. Man, that's a whole different meaning than truth in English, right? Whole different meaning. The value of truth has inside of it the beginning of things, the middle of things, and the ending of things. The value of truth has in it the middle, the beginning, and the ending of things. This is amazing. Hold on for this. Aleph, Mem, Tav. The letters of the, the text have a foot on them. Each of them, when you scribe them, have a foot that sticks out at the bottom, like this, of that word. And the Hebrew says, this irrepressibly is of truth, Amet, Alpha, Mem, Tav, all rest on the solidly, solidly on their foundations. They are contrasted by the letters of Sheker, which is falsehood. The truth letters can rest by themselves. The letters that make up Sheker, or falsehood, or lie, are on a point, and they can't stand up by themselves. The Talmud moralizes from this that truth, listen, truth endures while falsehood collapses. Truth endures while falsehood collapses. We need some truth today, right? That's all we seem to be talking about is truth, what is true and what is not truth. Truth will stand. Falsehood will collapse. The third note is righteousness. Righteousness is tzedek, tzedek, which refers to a life of right relationship. Again, notice the theme, it's relationship, right relationship. Most modern people, you know, when you hear about righteousness, you think maybe it's um, right living like uh, maybe sexual purity or diligence in prayer or something. But in the Bible, tzedek refers to day-to-day -day living in which a person conducts all relationships, all relationships in family and society with fairness and generosity and equity. Fairness, generosity, and equity. 
It is living in righteousness in Tzadek that justice is to be found for all creation. Let me give you an example of Tzadek. Damien just sang Deep River. One of the first choirs to sing Deep River and make this a popular, one of the all-time um, po- most popular spirituals was the Fisk Jubilee Choir. The Fisk Jubilee Choir was created at Fisk University, which was one of the first universities, it's a historically bad college, that um, was one of the first that was created to educate freed slaves. And they didn't have enough money to run the school. And so the music instructor was trying to figure it out and thought, we're going to start a choir. So they took two quartets, one women's quartet, one men's quartet, and a pianist, and they went on a tour. They went on a tour to try and raise money for their college to save their institution. They toured Ohio, as a matter of fact. When they came to Columbus, um, the hotel rooms that they were given were so gross that they had to roll up all of the stuff and put it outside and they slept in their coats. When they went to Cincinnati, they made $50. The day after they made the $50, it was that big Chicago fire. And those young people donated all of their $50 to the Chicago fire. And they still weren't allowed to stay in the hotel because of the color of their skin. If we are living into God's righteousness and tzedek, no one has ever, no beloved of God has ever turned away from any hospitality because of the color of their skin. Right relationship and treating people justly and kindly and fairly is what we're called to be doing. That's what we're called to be doing. And at the end, it says that righteousness will receive a kiss from the last note of peace or shalom. Shalom. And shalom is taken from the root word shalom, which means to be safe in mind, body, or estate. Again, speaks of completeness, wholeness, and fullness. In the Hebraic way of thinking, wholeness is joining together two opposites. And I was not familiar with this until I looked it up. Shalom is said when you greet people and when you leave. It's both coming and going. And there's a hidden connection I read in comings and goings. They're wonderfully or wondrously linked together. And one rabbi defines this definition of opposite encompassed in shalom as the most radical union of opposites imaginable. Hear this, a word for all of us. Shalom brings together people who disagree with each other so that each will listen deeply to the other side. Listen deeply to the other side. It's the people you do not agree with who have the greatest gift for you. The greatest gift for you. The gift of the potential for wholeness. Man, that's beautiful. The gift of the potential for wholeness. The peace movement, this rabbi says, I belong to is one of dialogue. Through dialogue and heart-wrenching dialogue, gentle dialogue, but always dialogue, speech that goes back and forth with each side constantly challenging and refining and purifying the other until we recognize that the other is none other than a reflection of our own selves. Than a reflection of our own selves. I personally believe that the world needs that definition more than ever before in my lifetime. That we are reflections of each other. Lastly, one other attribute of shalom 
is at a point at which you have given so much shalom or you have received so much, the rabbis say it spills out of you and is repaid or rendered to others. And so as you make others peacefully and inwardly complete, as you make the other complete, that makes you a peacemaker. That makes you a peacemaker. And imagine if all the world were peacemakers, overflowing with God's shalom, remembering the words of Mother Teresa that if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten we belong together. We have forgotten that we belong together. God's shalom brings us back to right relationship. So now, I'm going to say that this side of the room, you are righteousness over here, okay? Over here, peace. I'm not gonna make you kiss each other. There was a nervous laughter like, oh geez. What I do want you to do is scoot over, get up, whatever, and I want you to go to someone that you don't know and we're gonna start that right relationship with each other and I want you to just say the peace of God be with you. The peace of God be with you. Go. You don't have to move far. If you can't get up, that's not a problem. If you see someone sitting down, then head on over. It's great, isn't it? It's great, isn't it? It's great. See, everybody looks at me like I'm crazy until you do it, and then everybody's like, oh, this is so great. So when you find your uh, path back to your seat, or wherever, maybe you found a new friend that you'd like to sit with, that would be fantastic. Remember that right relationship starts with us first. It starts with how we relate to the world, how we relate to each other, how we relate to our families, how we relate to God. And once we get those relationships, we move out into the world and we spread God's shalom. We spread God's shalom until everybody can hear that quartet. So Sister Peggy asked us all to carry something with us as we left to share with you. And she asked us to carry the stories of the Salvadoran people too. Because she said, you know what, we belong together, all of us. And now that you've been here, you're part of our family. And I want you to go home and tell your church, they're part of our family too. Because if we don't share each other's stories, if we're not in relationship with each other, there will never be peace. And she said, take this with you. God is love. 
And love is a movement and a behavior and the best way we can praise God. The best way we can praise God is loving each other and being in right relationship. May God shalom reign for all people and may it begin with us. Amen.